welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because that team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. And even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. It was a day of triumph for Elijah. Well, it should have been a day of triumph, I guess. Uh, three years before this day, Elijah had confronted King Ahab. Uh, Ahab was, a, 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 was an evil king with no regard for God. His wife Jezebel was even worse. Uh, one of the consequences for their sin was three years with no rain. Three years. And then Elijah returns and has Ahab gather the nation at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of the little G God Baal and 400 prophets of the little G God Asherah, who just happens to be the favorites of Jezebel. It's time to demonstrate who is really God. So they set up two altars, one for Elijah and the other for the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And they choose a bull to sacrifice. Elijah chooses a bull to sacrifice. We'll get everything set up and then the real God can demonstrate his realness by lighting the altar on fire himself. Elijah allows the false prophets to go first. They spend almost the entire day chanting, praying, dancing, cutting themselves, calling on Baal and or Asherah to do their thing. In their bravado, they knock down Elijah's altar. But of course, nothing happens. Toward the end of the afternoon, it's Elijah's turn. He sets uh, up his altar again, uh, but this time he digs a trench around it and completely soaks the altar with water. Three times water is poured over everything until it's drenched. And then Elijah prays. He basically says, God, do your thing. 
prove that you are God and I am your servant. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from the heavens, consuming it all. Wood, bull, stones, even the water and the dust. God is the God. And in the aftermath, Elijah has all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah killed. Party's over. Elisha tells King Ahab to take five while he prays for rain, which eventually comes. And everyone uh, loads back into their horse-drawn chariots, headed back to town to escape the onslaught of water, except for Elijah. He's on foot. And wouldn't you know it, Elijah taps into the power of God to fuel his run. It's like a Holy Spirit Red Bull. If Red Bull gives you wings, what does the Holy Spirit do? And on foot, he beats them all, which if my math is good, Mount Carmel to Jezreel is just over 30 miles. Now let me pause for a moment. Welcome to the second week in our series, Conversations with God. We've all experienced the frustration and disappointment of unanswered prayers. We've been confused by some of the seemingly unimportant prayers that, uh, that he has answered and the really important ones that he hasn't. <laughs> I think most of us have felt guilty about the inconsistency of our prayer lives and wondered if we don't pray enough. But then when we do pray, we wonder if we're doing it the right way because God doesn't seem to be listening. And then, thanks to social media, we all have an eight-second attention span nowadays, which makes it very challenging to concentrate when we do decide to pray. As we discovered last week, our limited perspective about everything means that we really don't know what we should be praying for when we pray. And we don't like it when life is challenging, so we pray for rescue so that life can get easy again. Because an easy life is the American dream. Basically, we pray our way out of valleys instead of through the valleys. The problem with that being that God has purpose for our valleys. And when we focus on out, we miss what he's doing in those valleys. So we're trying to understand prayer better. So that we can have better, more effective conversations with God. And today, we're using Elijah's incredible story as a launch pad for understanding the purpose for prayer. Now to this point... Elijah has prayed that there would be no rain, and there wasn't. He's prayed that God would reveal himself to the nation, which he did. And he's prayed that there would be rain, and there was. We last left him panting in Jezreel, catching his breath, maybe on a spiritual high. It's been a good day. Hard, long, but good. There is hope of a turning away from the evil that has plagued the land under Ahab's rule. Even Ahab seems to have been shaken up a little bit. When Ahab returns home, he fills Jezebel in on the day. Oh, and by the way, honey, your favorite 400 prophets of Asherah are now dead. Lying next to the 450 prophets of Baal. Yeah, it was quite a day. Of course, Jezebel doesn't take the news well. Word gets out that she is gunning for Elijah's head. In his exhaustion, the news of his impending doom hits Elijah wrong. And he doesn't do what you'd expect him to do at this point. He's had the upper hand all day. I'd expect him to pray, smite her, O almighty smiter. 
it seems like that could have ended the whole thing right then and there. But even prophets have their off moments. And incredibly, the best choice he can think of after running more than a marathon already that day is to take off running again. This time headed toward Beersheba, another 95 miles as the crow flies, where he leaves his servant. Which makes me wonder if his, if his servant finally said, hey, whoa, whoa, I'm done. You did not put running on the job description when I applied and don't use the 5% other duties as assigned excuse. I quit. So for whatever reason, Elijah leaves his servant in Beersheba as he continues on into the desert for another day before collapsing on the ground under a tree. And there he prayed that he might die. God, I'm done. I have nothing left as he closes his eyes and falls asleep. God reads between the lines and recognizes Elijah's deeper need. He's exhausted and hangry. This is pre-Uber Eats, so God asked Angel Eats to do a mobile delivery. Elijah eats and goes back to sleep, only to awaken to another Angel Eats mobile delivery. It was a very hearty meal because it gave Elijah the strength to walk another 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai. He climbs the mountain of God and settles down in a cave for the night. Bringing us to 1 Kings chapter 19. From here, we'll skip the Chris Voigt paraphrase in favor of the New Living Translation. Uh, picking it up at the story in verse 9. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if it were me, I would have said, uh, God, maybe you should go first. You said to keep walking. I walked. Now, here I am. Apparently, Elijah isn't quite as mouthy as I am, but he does start complaining right from the get-go. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. If you read between the lines, what he means is, I am a faithful prophet of God. This isn't fair. I shouldn't have to suffer. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, which we're going to see isn't true. But at times of depression and discouragement often make us feel like we're alone. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. In spite of everything Elijah has experienced, not just on Mount Carmel, but everything since his calling as a prophet, all of these great manifestations of God's power demonstrated through Elijah. And still, Elijah has given more power to unbelief and fear. God listened, knowing that Elijah needed a personal encounter with God to reorient his heart and mind. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the, rock, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. 
God begins this personal encounter by demonstrating where he was not. He was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. Like so many of us, Elijah was probably expecting God to show up, hoping for God to show up in a dramatic manifestation of power. We want him to miraculously solve our financial problems. We want him to miraculously heal us, miraculously fix our relationships, miraculously cause, capture our kids' hearts, miraculously, miraculously fix all of our problems. Like Elijah, we are drawn to dramatic manifestations of power. The only difference between us and Elijah is that he had already experienced miracle after miracle. He himself had called forth miracle after miracle in God's name, but it still wasn't enough to overcome his unbelief and fear in these moments. So God was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake, and he was not in the fire. But after the fire came the sound of a gentle whisper. Now this is where it gets really interesting. Scholars have a hard time pinpointing what is meant by the phrase sound of a gentle whisper. Uh, It's also interpreted as a still small voice or the sound of gentle blowing. It's the New Revised Standard Version that probably comes the closest to the original Hebrew meaning. It says a sound of sheer silence. That is, the silence was so silent that it was almost audible nothingness. We could translate it as a sound of deafening silence. Sometimes God is in the wind blowing about the earth. Sometimes he is in the earthquake. And still others in the fire, much like the fire of God that came down and burned up Elijah's sacrifice. But, as theologian P.G. Ryken says, there are times when the glory of God is too much for any human being to take. His power is a terrible reality. And sometimes we really want to know that he is our friend. This is what God revealed to Elijah. God revealed himself to Elijah in a way that he never had before. As a friend. And the fact that Elijah is met with silence shows that the measure of God's presence is not always an audible voice or a dramatic manifestation. The still small voice of God speaking to the human heart is often more powerful and life-changing than the outward displays of God's power and judge or judgment. When Elijah heard the sound of silence, verse 13, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In reverent awe of the presence of God, in humility, Elijah wrapped his cloak about his face and waited. 
God asked him the same question once again. Elijah gave the same answer. Scholars suggest that there was something beneficial for Elijah in this question and answer process. Maybe the first time Elijah's answer was directed at what he thought of as a largely impersonal God of the universe. A God of big demonstrations. But the second time he was answering the question of a friend who cared. Who then gave him his marching orders. Because as Mark Batterson in Draw the Circle says, the purpose of prayer is not to give orders to God. The purpose of prayer is to get orders from God. Verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. At its core, prayer is simply a conversation with God. A conversation initiated by God. We love him because he first loved us. Through Jesus Christ, he began the conversation. So we're technically just responding to God. But it is meant to be far more than a superficial exchange of pleasantries or us downloading our wish list. It's a conversation among friends, a two-way conversation that deepens over time. The more you know God, primarily through his word, but also through your surrender and obedience, the, the deeper the conversation and the relationship that comes from it. Our relationship with God is about knowing And being known. As Tim Keller writes in his book about prayer, the the goal is not just the sharing of ideas, but also of ourselves. Communication can lead to two-way personal revelation that produces what can only be called a dynamic experience. J.I. Packer writes in, in Knowing God, That knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. Friends, open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. Now let me sum all that up by putting it this way. This is one of the primary purposes of prayer. It is a continual conversation with God through which we develop we, we de- deepen our friendship with God. Now, if you're like me, I don't really think of God as my friend most of the time. He is my father. I am his adopted son. I am his servant. Ephesians would describe me as an ambassador of his in this foreign land. Intellectually, I know that he is my friend. That's just not on the top of my mind most of the time. So let's zero in on the word Friendship. How do you develop a friendship? Think about your best friend for a moment. Yes, I know it's your spouse, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to give a report later so you can think of your real best friend if that applies. How did you develop that friendship? What kinds of conversations did you have at the beginning? And how did those conversations change over time? 
If you're like me, when I first meet somebody, I start out with the pertinent superficial details. What they do for a living. Are they married? With kids? What do they like to do for fun? What's their history? Over time, the conversation changes. As we get to know each other, the questions deepen, trust develops. You, you begin to just know how the other person thinks. You begin to know their stories as well as you know your own because you've been in those stories with them. And the more you know and are known by your best friend, the more time you want to spend with your best friend. You probably wouldn't take a two-week vacation with a stranger, someone you just met. And maybe the pinnacle of depth in a relationship is the ability to be together in comfortable silence. No need to fill the space with conversation. Early on in the relationship, that silence is anything but comfortable. But eventually it becomes the silence of companionship. Most days, Dee Dee and I spend a couple of hours together at the end of the day doing our own thing in the same space. Vaguely watching something on TV. It's a comfortable silence with each other. We may comment uh, on something here or there, but we've already covered all of the details of our day and we're just unwinding before bed, enjoying each other's presence. Earlier this month when Dee Dee went to visit her sister in Phoenix for a week, both of us missed that comfortable silence together at the end of the day. It just wasn't the same. Our friendship with God is deepened much the same way as we pray. Maybe part of our problem with prayer is that we focus on the act of praying more than we focus on knowing God. When you go to dinner with good friends, do you think about the conversation and the words you're saying? Or do you think about the people that you were with? Sometimes I think we get too caught up in our prayers about our prayers. We worry about saying the right thing. Especially if you are praying out loud. Have you ever been praying in a group and been so worried about what you were going to pray that you missed what everyone else prayed? And then you finally got it and the person right before you says what you wanted to say better than you would have said it. <laughs> That's getting caught up in the prayer, not the friend you're praying to. None of Elijah's prayers were particularly eloquent. They were just honest expressions of his heart. Your good friends know you well enough that you, they understand what you are saying even when you don't say it well. God knows you better than that. Plus, the Holy Spirit is doing the work of interpreting what you say anyway. You can trust him to make sure it sounds good to God. So again, <laughs> prayer is a continual conversation with God through which we deepen our friendship with God. Now let's zero in on the word continual. I think most of us think about prayer like it's a destination. It's something we go and do. And then when we're done, we just go on with our day. Or as is probably true in most cases, we don't go and do very well. And then we feel guilty. We have this idea that the only prayer that really makes a difference happens when we're on our knees for a while. The longer the better. It doesn't really count when you just throw one up in the spur of the moment. When someone says, she's such a great prayer warrior, he's such a great prayer warrior, that's what we think. They have their prayer closet and they spend hours every day in there talking to God. And while that might work for some people, that doesn't work for all people. 
We're all uniquely created in the image of God. Our interactions with him are just as varied as we are. And that's okay. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who carry guilt around with them about their prayer life. Life is busy. So even if they are in the word, their prayer life is chaotic at best. And oops, I forgot to pray for Nancy's job again. And Robert's cancer and Laura's dealing with anxiety. And do I even care about John's second cousin's neighbor's nephew's drug problem? I mean, I know I should, but I can barely care about my own cares, let alone some stranger's. Yikes, I, did Nancy get fired yesterday because I forgot to pray? Prayer isn't supposed to be a destination. It's a journey. God is at work from here to there. He is with us in every moment, and prayer is about relationship. Relationships don't happen in isolation. They are integrated into every part of our lives. So should prayer be. We're going to talk about this uh, more in a couple of weeks. So for now, I'll just leave it at this. You are developing your relationship with God every moment of every day. You don't have to go pray. You just pray. Whenever, wherever, however. Most of us get stuck on the quality or the lack of quality of our prayer time. It's okay to start with quantity. Quality will flow out of quantity. As you drive by Nancy's house on your way home, talk to God about her job situation. When you see Robert across the room at church, pray for his cancer journey. When you see Laura in Target and anxiety is written all over her face, even though she's trying to hide it, in your head, God, she needs some peace. Get to work. And as for John's second cousin's neighbor's drug, nephew's drugs problem, not to make light of it. But God, I know I'm forgetting something. Thank you that you never forget. That's okay too. It's a continual conversation. Even you're in your deepest friendships, not every conversation is of the same quality. That's okay with God too. He loves you just as you are. And as your relationship deepens, so will your conversation with him. The only bad conversation you can have with God is one that you don't have with God. And even then, you're only fooling yourself. The Holy Spirit does, doesn't need you to say it for him to pray it. I think this is what Paul meant when he told the Colossian church to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And, as, and the Ephesian church to pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And the Thessalonian church to never stop praying. That's a memory verse I think all of us could memorize. I definitely think that Paul spent lots of time on his knees in focused prayer. But he was also a tent maker, an evangelist, a friend, a man on the run, sometimes from city to city. The only way to do what he's telling the first century churches to do is by continual prayer. I, for one, believe in praying a variety of ways. Just as we saw with Elijah, one of the ways that God deepens our faith and relationship with him is by meeting us in different ways, in different places. He reveals a new facet of himself. He wants to birth something new in you. But when you're in a rut, that's a little more challenging. 
So I journal my prayers in the morning during my quiet time. I go to sleep praying. I run praying. I drive praying. I go to, into meetings praying. I run through the celebration center in the last moments of the countdown praying. I intentionally put myself in places so that I never take my friendship with God for granted. And I often choose to sit in silence so that I can hear the gentle whisper of God. Silence in the presence of God can be prayer too. So to recap once more, prayer is a continual conversation with God through which we deepen our friendship with God. It's really pretty simple. If we can get this down, if we can somehow learn to carry on a continual conversation with God, some really good things are going to flow from our prayers. First, we'll begin to experience a life where our faith intersects with the secular parts of our life. Most of you don't have the luxury of being paid to do the work of the Lord like I do as your pastor. Don't get me wrong. You are still a pastor. The Apostle Peter would call you a priest. So you just don't get paid for it. Some of you are accountants, civil servants, truckers, nurses, stay-at-home moms, insurance agents, electricians, etc., etc., etc. for your day jobs. And it's easy, too easy most of the time, to compartmentalize our Sunday faith from the rest of our 9-to-5 story. Men, we are especially good at this. It's easy for us to, to act one way at work, another at the ball field as we're yelling at the lousy ref, and another way at church. We are masters at compartmentalization. But following Jesus isn't something we do. It's who we become in all of our life, for all of our life. The process of becoming like Jesus is the process of integrating all that he is into all that we are. And a continual conversation with God keeps bringing God continually into all of those other areas of our lives. His presence saturates us everywhere all of the time. Continual conversations also give us a mindset that broadens our perspective. We become more aware of what God is up to in us, through us, and around us. It's similar to buying a new car thinking that there aren't that many of your new car on the road. And then you drive it off the lot, and the only thing you see is your car everywhere you go. They were there all along. You just didn't notice them until you bought one. When you are in a continual conversation with God, you begin to see what he's up to in you, through you, and around you. This is where he gives you your assignments. I like to call them divine appointments. Our broader perspective begins to give us eyes to see where he is inviting you to partner with him and what he's doing in someone else. Which just deepens the relationship a little bit more. Especially when you don't quite understand what he's up to yet. And you need an infusion of faith. And then one final benefit for, to a continual conversation with God, for today at least, is better access to God's peace. His hope, his love, his patience, and all the rest of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, frankly. When you are anxious and need peace, you find peace faster when you're already talking with him about your situation. When you're already talking with him about that extra grace-required person you call a coworker who drives you up the wall. So his patience is already flowing through you. His love is right there at your fingertips. You didn't forget it at home with your Bible and prayer journal. Speaking of home... 
let's talk about some homework for the week. <laughs> Just to begin to build a habit. I want to invite you to try this. Every time you change locations, in your mind, have a conversation with God about what's going to happen in that location. Maybe pray for the coworker you'll be sitting next to, or the project you're working on, or the waitress who will be serving you, or the person in the car idling next to you at the stoplight. Or you can go nuts if you want and break it down even further. Like every meeting you enter, pray for the people in the meeting. Pray for wisdom, pray for unity, pray that they would experience something different in you. An aura of God's presence that makes them curious. As you go through the week doing this, pay attention to what you sense happening in your spirit. Are you sensing any of the things that we've just talked about or something else? Developing a personal, deeply personal, intimate relationship with God takes time. There are no shortcuts. Studies show that it takes about 200 hours together to develop a close friend kind of relationship. So don't be discouraged if you don't sense anything at first. I promise you, God is right there listening, even if you don't feel him. Here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for God to show up with a gentle whisper. Who knows? It could be life-changing. Let's pray. Father, we are people who are like Elijah. We love to see dramatic, great manifestations that, that reveal that you are the God of the universe uh, the God who is in control, a God of great glory. We read through the Bible and we see all of these miracles and we want those kinds of miracles in our lives. Teach us to hear the sweet sound of silence. Teach us to desire that even more than great manifestations of your power. And let that, that silence, those moments that we spend together with you in silence, let those change us from the inside out and make us more like Jesus, which is what we're all about. Speak to us, Father, as only you can. And even for people in this room, for people watching online who might consider themselves prayer warriors, who, who spend time in prayer with you um, a lot, I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself anew. There is always more of God to be revealed in our lives. So for those that might be in a rut, draw us into something new. Make us a praying people of God. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others 
will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who called Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus, and they have come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's presence would inhabit your conversations with Him as you pray. Um, one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.